And now, coming at you from the Five Star Physique Studio in Knoxville, Tennessee, this is The Drop Set with your host, Darren Starr. Hey everybody, what's up? Welcome to episode 179 of The Drop Set. I am your host, Darren Starr. That is still my name. I'm still your host. All of those things remain true. So, how are we doing? It is Monday. It is April 5th. 2021, the day after Easter. Hope everybody had a great weekend, celebrating it however you see fit. Um, I celebrated it. Well, I didn't really celebrate it, but we went down and took a uh, little trip out of town yesterday. We had to go check in on my wife's parents' old house, which has been uninhabited for a couple years. And it's one of those things where you just kind of go and make sure nothing's falling apart and just kind of look and make sure it's, you know, the, the grounds are being cared for, you know, all that kind of stuff. There's still people that go and like mow the lawn on a regular basis to keep it looking like it's not just totally desolate or anything like that. We took the dogs with us and uh, let them run around for a little bit. Taz got to meet some cows through a fence, which he didn't know what he's a cattle dog. He'd never seen a cow before. <laughs> he just knew like, I'm supposed to chase you guys and get you guys. <laughs> he wanted to so bad, I did not let him. Uh, they aren't our cows, so that wouldn't have been fair. Anyway, he had a good time. Everybody had a good time. It was a nice, low-key, chill, chill kind of day. Really great weather for a good drive out of town, too. So um, so where are we at here? Um, first of all, very special announcement. We're going to have a very special guest with us on, I would imagine, probably Friday's episode. I have a an interview that I will be doing and it's scheduled to be recorded on Thursday. And if that goes off without a hitch, then uh, that episode will air here on Friday. I'm excited. Who is it? I'm not going to tell you, um, but it'll be cool. It'll be a good little chat. Um, to that end, I am now ready to get into, I think he says with some trepidation in his voice, uh, a little bit deeper into the interviewing business. So that being said, if you have, people that you would like to see or hear, as the case may be, um, on this podcast, let me know. I will also probably be shooting this up. Um, I'll, I'll be doing the the interviews uh, through Zoom, so there will be video. I'll probably put those up on YouTube as well, so um, you can actually watch it if you want to. Uh, God forbid with my face on there. I don't know why you'd want to. I have the face for radio, as everybody has always told me. Um, but if you have ideas on who, uh, who would be a good fit for this podcast, let me know if it's somebody that, you know, personally make an introduction. I'd really appreciate that. Um, I know nobody. So if you recommend a name, I will reach out to them cold. They're not going to have any clue who I am. And, uh, you know, most of those requests get ignored. So, um, if you can make an introduction and facilitate it, if it's somebody that, you know, let me know. I'm looking for competitors, industry figures, anybody that, uh, you think would have, you know, something relevant to contribute here. So somebody more than that can contribute more than what I can by myself, which we're, we're looking to set a pretty low bar there to clear. So a lot of people would qualify. Um, anyway, that's, uh, that's the news update. That's where we're at. So I have a, a couple topics that I want to talk about here. Um, a few things, and I'm not sure which of these to start with. So why don't we go for, let's dial into the most nebulous of these right from the start here. So I want to talk about a question that came up in a check-in last week. And this was a client who raised the question of what is the appropriate rate or what is an ideal rate at which uh, you could expect to build muscle? 
And of course, I'm not even going to cue you for your answer on this because long-term listeners already know the answer is, of course, it depends. It depends on a shit ton of factors. So, uh, so many things um, like, you know, <laughs> very basic things like, are you following the plan? And oftentimes I'm going to level with you. People that aren't building muscle optimally um, just aren't following their plan all the way. That is step one, um, because maybe following the plan isn't the solution but we can't really know what the solution is until you're following the plan 100% because we can't really tell how deficient you are. We can't really see. And by we, I mean like, you know, coaches. <laughs> um, we got to have you on plan. I always tell people that, you know, being on plan isn't about just, you know, setting a target and having you hit it just because it's arbitrary and we like uh, putting people in boxes and limiting what they can do. But it's about setting a target and then watching you hit that target and then seeing what kind of a response we get from your body to help determine how appropriate that target is. So if I have a set of macros established for somebody and they're not able to hit those macros with a degree of precision consistently, I have no way of knowing how appropriate those macros are for somebody. Well, I'm not going to change anything <laughs> unless I know. Unless, and I, I, I do this periodically, sometimes you know if they're consistently short on one thing and I just beat somebody over the head with the concept of get that number up. Here's how you do it. Here's how you do it. And they just can't do it. First of all, that's a huge red flag. And I know that this probably isn't going to work out because if I tell you like you're 50 grams short on your protein and for a month, even though I've told you exactly how to do it, you still fall 50 grams short on your protein. This ain't going to work. Okay. <laughs> it's like at that point, you're just not trying. Um, unless there are other issues at play, which there rarely are. It's, it's usually just like a lack of effort. So I can't fix a lack of effort. You got to try. I can't try for you. Um, so sometimes, however, in a case like that, I'll be like, great, let me knock your goal down by a little bit. This isn't where I want you to be, but let's see if we can hit this lower goal a little bit more consistently and just get a moral victory that way and try to build a little confidence. So you can kind of work somebody towards their macros that way sometimes. So sometimes people just aren't ready for it, you know? So uh, I think over the years, I've kind of learned to identify <laughs> who, who is in what group there. Uh, but you got to hit your plan. First of all, um, if you're not hitting your plan, we just don't know how effective that plan would hypothetically be if you were able to hit it. So hit it for starters. From there, we can look at cues like, you know, how does your body respond? You know, are your calories too low? Are they too high? Um, what I'm really going to be looking for more than anything else is performance related metrics. Like, are you hitting progressive overload? This is not like, are you squatting 315 for enough reps? But it's, are you working harder this week than you were the previous week? Are we pushing more weight? Are we doing more reps? You know, all of these things that are very measurable and easy to track metrics. Are we increasing in those week to week? We should be. Um, and then because a lot of people, depending on your experience level, might just be starting with a really, really low baseline of performance. Like, you know, they're, they're putting 50 pounds on the leg press when they should be pushing 400. You know, I can't tell you how many times I've seen things like that. And I always tell people like, I want you to, to, play the role of me for a little bit here, right? I want you to be an asshole to yourself in the gym as if I was there with you, training you, and I'm shoving weight on that machine. You're like, dude, I'm going to die. I'm like, well, then die. You know what? Or don't just by working a little bit harder. And when I've done that and I've trained people in, in person back when I used to do that back, you know, in the, in the dinosaur age, invariably, uh, I have a pretty good track record. I've never killed a client that I would admit to. Uh, it's just, you know, I put however much weight on there. Now, also, I'm not taking somebody who can maybe push 200 pounds and putting 1,000 pounds on their leg press. You got to be kind of smart about it. At the same time, everybody, 
everybody always underestimates their performance. And if you can get somebody to understand how to dig deeper, like, and sometimes you have to make them feel like, you know, you're going to hurt yourself if you don't push. Like, yes, this leg press will swallow you whole and it will eat you alive and it will come crashing down on you unless you push. And guess what? You have the ability to push. Now push. You're going to have to push harder than you have before, but you can do it. Now go and don't die. And invariably, they don't die. Again, that I would admit to. Uh, But you've got to You've got to play that role yourself in the gym. So check your intensity. You know, I mean, you've got to make sure that you're pushing progressive overload, um, and you've got to make sure that you know you're you're pushing yourself out of your comfort zone a lot. Like, you know, I don't need people having you know brain aneurysms and you know burst capillaries in their eye or anything like that because they're pushing so hard. But by the same token, if you have some of those, then we know we're on the right track. <laughs> if you know, I always tell people also like you know you. you Many of you have experienced this or seen it or heard about it where, you know, you work out so hard you throw up. That's just your central nervous system getting overloaded. And I always tell people that's not a good place to be. But if you can kind of get to the point where you're towing that line, that tells, that tells me we're on the right track. So, um, you know, you don't, you don't want to hurt yourself, but you want to get to a position where it almost kind of feels like you could. Um, and I will say that the most successful bodybuilders are the ones that recognize where that line is and they're comfortable flirting with it, but then they back off at the appropriate time. So, and that, that's a, a process that can take years. It's a skill that can take years to kind of fine tune. Um, but that's another thing to consider as well. So you got to be on plan. Um, you've got to have your intensity in check. You've got to be consistent over a long term. Um, and you've got to make sure that all of your other variables are in line as well. Are you getting enough rest? Are you managing your stress? Are you well hydrated? Is your supplementation on point? Um, whatever that means, it could mean a lot of different things. Um, if we're talking strictly like you know legal over the counter supplements, it's pretty minimal. You know, taking your creatine, cool. You got a multivitamin, cool. Not much else that I believe in there. Um, so you've got to make sure that. All of those things are on track. And then at that point, whatever rate you're building muscle at is probably appropriate and ideal. And it might be slow. It will be slow. And the thing is also, here's the thing that really, really tends to frustrate people. And people are always looking for solutions out of this answer. And that is, it is unknowable. You can't know. Yeah, go go get a bod pod. Go get an in-body. Go get a DEXA scan. None of that stuff is accurate enough to place bets on. So, um, and certainly if you use like a bioimpedance thing or if you like use skinfold calipers, the margin of error on those is much higher still. So um, trying to find out like how fast am I building muscle? It is an answer that you cannot know. Uh, the system, your body is a black box that we can't open up and just say, oh, okay, well, it's, you know, you can, you can go and you can pay for an in-body and it will tell you, oh, you're 11.29% body fat. BS. It doesn't know that. It, you know, it can say you're about 11%, which can mean somewhere between 9 and 14, probably. That's about the best guess we're going to get on that. So um, that is uh, what I like to call falsely implied precision, where you give something to two decimal points, meaning like, I know that it's accurate to two decimal points. You don't. You don't even know to a whole number how accurate it is. So um, a lot of people get fooled into believing those things, and they're just not trustworthy. They simply aren't. So Keep in mind, if we're looking for the appropriate rate to build muscle at, we have to speak in very general terms because we just can't know, which means you've got to look at a few things. And there's the, these, are, these are the gut check things that I look at here. So it's not so much what's an appropriate rate, but it's more like, how do I know if I'm building muscle at an appropriate rate? I think I would rephrase the question a little bit more like that. A few things. Is your intensity on point? 
Are you experiencing progressive overload? Are you following your plan? How is your body composition shifting on a very rough eyeball gut check kind of level? A few things that you can use for that. Track your scale weight, look at your photos, check your abdominal skin fold because that's something where you can just sit in your chair right now. You can pinch right there. You can grab a nice little skin fold of fat around the abdomen. It's hardly a foolproof test, but it's like, oh, okay, it's there. A few weeks ago, it felt like it was a little bit more substantial. You could get a, um, oh, what's that thing called? It's a caliper, but it's like a really, really cheap one. It had a name. I can't remember what it is now. You can go on Amazon and buy like a cheapo plastic uh, skin fold caliper for like five bucks, probably something like that. And it's just really easy. Like last time I was cutting, I would monitor that. I do. um, So right at belly button height, about three inches to the outside of that. It's a really good, easy to grab a skin fold, really good, easy spot to grab a skin fold. And so I would just take it. I'd take the calipers and pinch there, pinch the other side. I'm not plugging that into a formula. That gives you a direct reading in millimeters. How thick is that skin fold in millimeters? And you can track that over time and you can watch that number drop if you know if that's the goal or if you're eating a lot, you can make sure it doesn't go up or at least not up at too high of a rate. So you can use that to monitor and you can get a number. But again, you're not going to plug that into a formula and say, oh, well, this says I'm such and such percent body fat. It's like that's where skin fold calipers get a lot less useful because what it does, the way this works, I've talked about this on here before, but again, we got 180 episodes. I can't tell you which ones I've talked about it on, probably three or four of them at least. Um, but the way it works, the way the formulas work, if you break down the math inside those formulas, it takes the direct readings, your, your skin fold calipers, which to be clear, there's a little bit of margin of error just in those. There's some skill involved in getting a good, accurate number. Um, you know, A lot of it just has to, it comes down to how accurate is your instrumentation as well. So your $5 skin fold calipers that you get from Amazon, eh, take the number with a grain of salt. But if you get good at it, you can kind of see where it's supposed to be and you can get a pretty consistent result there. Um, a lot of it just comes down to being really precise with where you pinch and how much you pinch and how hard you squeeze. Because you know I can turn an A uh, on the caliper into a seven real easy just by squeezing a little harder. So um, a lot of them will have a pressure indicator um, that gives you a line. And as soon as you hit that line, it's like, don't squeeze any harder because you're screwing up the results at that point. So you can't, you can't wish your, I mean, you can wish your way to a smaller number, but it's fake. It's a fake number. So um, check that. Uh, where was I going with this? Oh yeah. So the way the numbers are determined, it takes those. And so you do several sites across the body, abdomen, you can do bicep, tricep, pet, quad, wherever, um, sub scap. Um, and you know, many, many of those, you can't reach yourself anyway. So you need, that's why you have a trainer do it for you. And, uh, you take that and you plug it into a formula that then gives you an estimate of your body density based on all of those skin folds. So first of all, you've got equipment um, uh, reliability. You've got user error as another potential way to introduce some uh, some margin of error into the, into the numbers. And now you're getting something that estimates a body density score based on those things where we've already got two layers of possible imprecision. And then that body density number gets plugged into another formula that then uh, estimates your body fat percentage from there. So at the end of the day, you've got a body fat percentage that's an estimate of an estimate of something that was potentially taken and there was some error involved on some instrumentation that may or may not be super accurate. So that number is worthless. That is junk. That's a junk number Um, because it's going to say, oh, I'm 15.1%. What that means is you're somewhere between 15 and 18 or you're somewhere between 12 and 18%. 
plus or minus 3% is about the best you can ask for there. Well, guess what? I can look at you until you're between 12 and 18%. You don't need to go through all the rigmarole of caliper testing in order to determine that. So, um, so don't sweat it. Don't worry about that. But the direct numbers, like the abdominal numbers, th- those can be useful. And so I will track those on a spreadsheet um, when I'm in a deficit just because it's, it's easy. You know, I step on the scale. I, I get the weigh-in in the morning. I take an extra 10 seconds, get two caliper measurements on top of that. Done. So at that point, it's like, why not? Why not? It's easy enough. Might as well. Um, so check all uh, that along with photos, along with weigh-ins. So make sure that everything's on point. And then that's how you kind of know you're at an ideal rate. And then um, as you continue to push progressive overload, you should be able to push your intake up a little bit higher as well. And then again, you need to just kind of take a step back, look at your photos, check your weigh-ins, make sure, you know, if you're if you're increasing a pound a week, that's not muscle. Nobody builds muscle at a pound a week. So you also have to kind of know what's realistic. And the axiom goes, um, thank you to uh, my buddy Aaron Orton for this one. Um, you measure fat loss in pounds, you measure muscle gain in ounces. And I would like to add as a subscript to that, ounces or grams, maybe, uh, d- depends on how long you've been at it. So keep in mind, um, one pound is 454 grams. So if you gain, you know, oh, let's say, let's try and keep this relatively simple. So you gain 40 grams of muscle in a week. Okay. That means in 10 weeks, 11 weeks, you've gained a pound. That's pretty good. A pound of muscle. That's a lot. That's a lot. Um, an ounce is, uh, 28 grams. So 28 grams to the ounce, 16 ounces to a pound, 454 grams to these, these are the kind of these, this is the data that I remember from engineering school. It's unit conversions that I still use today. That's it. I don't remember anything else, but, uh, there you go. I couldn't tell you how to design a bridge using the force method or anything like that, but I can tell you unit conversions until the cows come home. So, um, so that's, uh, it's, it should be slow. If it's muscle gain that you are uh, seeing show up on the scale over a short period of time, it's not muscle gain. It's, it's, it's some, but the, what's actually making the needle move, what's actually making the number move is fat and fluids. So there's going to be a little bit of fat gain with muscle gain. There has to be, you know. Um, and I tell people, you know, you, you can minimize that. You can keep it as close to zero as possible. It's still not going to be zero. You can keep it as close to zero as possible. In order to do that, what you have to do is maintain a diet and probably some level of cardio that makes muscle growth harder still. So I always tell people, just let go of that. Let go of trying to remain as lean as you possibly can. And yeah, I, I have wiggle room on that. I work with some clients who really want to stay leaner. And I, I just make sure they know, like, you are really going to hamper your efforts to gain muscle in doing this. It's going to be, you're taking a slow process and you're slowing it down further with your insistence on remaining lean. A lot of people are cool with that. And if you're cool with that, awesome. Um, a lot of people think they're cool with that. And then they discover that they're not because things are progressing at such a slow rate. It doesn't look like anything's happening at all. That's more common. I've got a few people that do really well with it, actually. They're like, I'll, I'm fine with it being slow. That's cool. And uh, and they really are. And then a lot of people who say like, no, I'm fine. I want to stay lean. And then four weeks into it, they're like, I'm, nothing's changing. I'm like, I know, right? Because you need to let go of trying to stay lean. Like you got to let your body composition shift a little bit. Here's the thing. As bodybuilders, everything we do is temporary. Any level of conditioning that you hold is temporary. So just let go of it. You're not trying to get fat, but let yourself get a little less lean for the sake of building some muscle um, because that will last longer. So food for thought there. Keep that in mind. Um, 
along those lines, this is a good shift. Uh, this is almost like a planned transition here. We're going to talk a little bit here about um, body dysmorphia. Um, just a little bit, because I don't have a whole lot to, to mention on this subject, but I just need to remind people and, and talk about just how freaking prevalent this is. Uh, I often make the quip um, when I'm talking with clients that um, body dysmorphia is one of those things that is almost universally present in everybody who does bodybuilding. Uh, I say almost because, of course, there's exceptions. Um, but what body dysmorphia is, I'm not going to look it up and get a clinical definition for you. Um, so somebody out there who is much more in tune with this might be able to correct me on this. But for, for our purposes, the way, that I, uh, the way that I see it is that um, I define body dysmorphia as the disconnection between what your physique really is and what you see it as. Um, and to some degree, I feel extremely confident in saying that everybody here listening to this experiences this to some degree to some degree, some more extreme than others. Um, I would put myself kind of on the slightly more extreme end of it um, because I look at myself in the mirror and I'm like, eh, whatever. Um, I look at progress pics and the first thing I think about is, Ugh, am I really about to post these? Yuck. Uh, no legs. Why does my waist look like that? My back, Ugh, Jesus. You know, my arms, you know, some people say like, man, your arms look great. I'm like, my arms are one of my least favorite things on my body. Um, and that's a long list. So that's how, you know, when you start talking and saying things like that, that's how, you know, you have it to some degree and just acknowledging that you've got some body dysmorphia. Like if enough people in the know tell you, man, you look really good and you don't think so, chances are they're right. And notice I said people in the know. If your grandma tells you that, you know what? Thanks, grandma, but I don't necessarily trust your opinion on this. No offense. You're a lovely human being. You make great cookies and a killer lasagna, but I just don't trust your opinion on matters of bodybuilding. Sorry. Um, but if enough people in the know really kind of start to hammer this point home, there's a good chance you should probably listen to them. And so I am not tooting my own horn here or anything like that because I truly believe when I look at myself in the mirror, I'm like, that dude is waiting for a third or a fourth call out. Like, that's what I see. But when you've got a coach that tells you otherwise, when you've got clients that comment on your photos that tell you otherwise, um, when you've got friends that comment, oh, you're looking big. And again, these are people that don't necessarily know what they're talking about, but their opinion jives with what I'm hearing from everybody else. I start to think, well, maybe it's me. Maybe I'm the idiot here. I don't know. But I'm not letting that get in my head or anything like that. Because at the end of the day, like, it's not, I mean, body dysmorphia is, is sometimes seen, especially on social media, as fishing for compliments. And that's not it at all. Like, if it's genuine and you know, like, you can, you can see these people online that look freaking ridiculous. Like, holy crap, you're either you're just ginormous or you're cut as hell or both. And they're saying like, oh, this is what I see. Now, granted, some people probably are fishing for compliments. But somebody that's really like that has body dysmorphic tendencies, like they mean it. They're they're being real with you. That that's what they. And so when I when I post stuff like that, and, and if I'm, I try not to be too critical of myself, just because I don't think I think it's good to talk about it. I don't think it's necessarily healthy to demonstrate that for other people. And so I try to keep it to myself and kind of work through my issues on my own. Um, but uh, when when people oftentimes in bodybuilding when they say stuff like that. They mean it, and, and there's a reason for that. And now, why, 
why is there such a high prevalence of this in bodybuilding? Well, it's it's very much a, a causal thing, but in the direction opposite to what you might think. My belief, and I have zero data to back this up. There has been no research done here, but it kind of makes logical sense, uh, is that bodybuilding draws people to it who have body dysmorphia because they see that as a way to fix it. And it won't. It won't. Uh, if, if you have body dysmorphic tendencies and you put on 50 pounds of muscle and no pounds of fat, you're still going to see yourself through a lens that has been filtered to look for the negative in things. Um, that will not change. Um, there may be some point where you sit back and you're like, holy crap, I can't believe that's me. And for somebody that has a, a, a significant case of body dysmorphia, you might think, wow, that's kind of a breakthrough. And it is, but it's also fleeting because then, you know, oftentimes you'll see that like right before a contest for somebody when they're really lean, they're looking great. And it's kind of undeniable. Like, okay, yeah, you look like a freaking badass. Okay. Um, but then, you know, they, post-show, they gain 10 pounds. They look a little bit more normal. They're a little softer relative to what they were just seeing. It's not a pretty picture. Still, you know, 95 people out of 100 would love to be in their shoes as far as their physique is concerned, but can, they just saw what their peak was and now they've fallen from that. So then there's likely to be a flare-up in that body dysmorphia and it becomes even more pronounced um, after you just think you've had this breakthrough. So um, I've been there. I've, I've gone up and down that path enough to, to recognize that this is a very real thing. And I just think it's good to talk about it, to acknowledge it and to, to tell people like, if this is you, I want you to know that you're more normal than you think. Um, and uh, if people are telling you, you look good, you probably do. You probably do, um, unless they have ulterior motives. I don't know. <laughs> if your spouse tells you you look good, you can probably trust them because it's not often that your spouse is trying to butter you up for something. You usually get the straight the straight scoop from them. So, um, I don't know. Or if they tell you you look great, and then they and then that person asks you for a favor immediately after that, you can discount that opinion. Like, nope, nope, man, you look great. Hey, can I borrow a hundred bucks? Yeah. No, no, your opinion just took a, took a shit. So, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> anyway, body dysmorphia, very real thing. Um, and the, the other question that might be out there is, um, what do you do about it? And to that, I would just say, I don't know. I, I come with no solutions other than there's probably therapy involved. Um, and as much as I would like to help people through that, I tell you what, um, how much do you pay for this podcast? Yeah. Uh, your therapist is, uh, well, let's just say if you treat this podcast as therapy, you're getting what you pay for. <laughs> so it, it, is, it is not therapy by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, I do often tell clients like, you know, I, I charge this much for coaching. Your therapist is way more expensive and they're worth it. Um, so any therapy you're going to get from me is going to be discounted in price and quality. So <laughs> just, just keep that in mind. Hey, everybody. Uh, allow me to interrupt myself briefly and just say thank you again for listening. I would love for you to take this episode, share it on social media, tag me there on Instagram at Darren underscore star in your posts and in your stories, and, and leave reviews wherever you can. Wherever you listen to this, if the uh, service allows you to leave a review and a rating, do it. I'd forever be appreciative. Um, also, call in and leave a question. 
uh, our voicemail line is always open here. The number, uh, if you're ready to write it down, are you ready? 865-518-2974. If you want to be featured in an upcoming episode, let me know. Uh, Call in, leave a message there, and give me something to talk about. Also, this podcast is sponsored by me. Uh, FiveStarPhysique.com is my business. It uh, features coaching for contest prep or just general non-competitive body transformation as well. I like to go a little bit deeper, a little beyond the surface, beyond just plan writing, uh, and focus on what is preventing you from being successful. And then once we have that figured out, hammer the other stuff really hard and get you to fulfill your potential. Um, If you're not looking for coaching, but you're just looking for like, hey, I need something to do in the gym. I have workout plans available. You can go and browse those online. You can read about coaching if you go to 5starphysique.com. That's star with two R's, five spelled out F-I-V-E. You can click on coaching. You can click on workout plans. Read about everything there. And if you have questions, of course, just click on contact and hit me up there. That's probably the best way to get a hold of me. Now, Where was I before I was so rudely interrupted? Oh yeah, let's go back. All right, how do you like that? There we go. We had our uh, our first paid promotion. Actually, it wasn't paid, but you know, whatever. It, it was me, but I figured uh, those are all things that I kind of want to say on the regular anyway, so I thought I'd do a little pre-recorded spot and stick it in there. So, um. Let's see. The the third and final topic for today is one that is always on my mind. And I have a handful of clients who are going to think that this is um, being addressed directly at them. And all I can say is, you're, you're right. Uh, no. <laughs> it's, it's directed at nobody in particular because it applies to everybody. This is one of the biggest things that I always try to hammer home to people. And that is the expectations when you go to do a show, especially if it's your first show. So again, if you think this is directed at you, well, I want you to hear it, but it's not. It's directed at everybody. I'm not singling anybody out here. So um, it's just a universal thing. It, it really is. Uh, and we'll, we'll touch on this when uh, uh, with the next podcast. I'm sure we'll talk about this during our discussion, um, during the interview that I record on Thursday. So the more you compete, the more you realize this to be true. Um, the more you coach, the more you realize this to be true. So um, I, I get requests from a lot of people. A, a lot of people, they're, they're looking for a coach. They, they email me. They're like, da-da-da-da-da. I'm eyeing this show. I want to go in and I want to win. I'm like, all right, cool. Guess what? You probably won't. Um, and that's just, you know, I will say that to anybody before I even see your photos. Just because if you're looking to do your first show, chances are you're probably not going to win unless you're going into like a debut class or something like that. um, Or it's just a a week class, the things you have absolutely no control over. So I I always just tell people to make the assumption that you're going in and your first three, four, five shows are about learning as much as anything else, which doesn't mean that you aren't at all concerned with the outcome. It's just that the process of getting ready for the show and going through prep um, you got to learn about that and learn as you go along. You got to gain experience of going through the whole process on show day. You've got to get comfortable with being up on stage, all of those things. Um, so to go in and say, I'm going to win on show number one, be like, and oftentimes the thing that cracks me up the most is 
I will hear that from people who have never even attended a show in person. That is like saying that you are going to go pitch in the World Series, but you've never picked up a baseball. It's like, no, that is not how any of this works. You got to gain experience. And I'm not saying you got to go through and you got to get your ass kicked and you got to pay your dues, but you got to put in some work. And I don't care how long you've been lifting, how long you've been training. The question is, how long have you been competing? Because when you get up on stage, it's not a training competition. You know, it's a physique display competition. So how good is your posing? How well do you flow? How good is your symmetry? You know, your genetics play. Now, how, how hard do you work and how consistently you train certainly factors into all that. It ain't the only thing. So um, you got to go in and too many people have this mindset where it is, it's like, I'm going in to win. It's like, and I think that's why we have a lot of people who compete once and then never do it again because they're going in with the wrong expectations. It, it's like, you know, I, I make the equation to team sports all the time, you know, Everybody wants to. Everybody starts the NFL season thinking they're going to the Super Bowl, even though we know a lot of them are delusional, right? But in the end of the day, only one team does. Does that mean everybody else lost? I certainly don't like to think of it that way. Now you always say people with the heart of a champion, like I either win first or I'm a loser. It's like you better get used to losing then, because you're going to lose under those terms more than you win for sure. I like to think of it as taking it as an opportunity to learn instead. You know, or sometimes you don't lose. Sometimes you just get beat. That's okay. That's okay. It is okay to put in everything you got into a prep and come in last or third or fifth out of 10 or whatever. That is okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Here's the thing. I always tell people, look at where you're at before you put yourself on stage. Um, you wake up on the morning of show day. How do things look? Are you happy with how you look? Um, are you happy with the effort that you put in throughout prep? Is there anything that you could go back and change? If so, remember that for next time. I never want people waking up on show day thinking, uh, could have done this a little bit differently. Uh, I wish I would have done that. Uh, I wish I wouldn't have done that. Like those are things. Take that and remember that for next time. You, you're, you want your prep to be as close to perfect as it possibly can be. Um, and uh, if, if you're happy with where you're at and you're like, well, yeah, you know, I, I wasn't, my prep wasn't perfect. I had this little slip up here. I did this wrong here, but you know, I'm waking up on show day. I feel like I look pretty dang good. Cool. That is great. So that, that is what I call your in a vacuum self-assessment. Like with nobody else in the picture, how are you, ha are you happy with things? Cool. And then you get up on stage and here is where you have no control over anything. So would you rather finish middle of the pack in a class of five that's really, really tough or first out of five in a really weak class? Because the, the, you, you take whatever your physique is, either one of those could happen. You could finish first. You could finish last. It depends on who else shows up. So does who else shows up really matter if you can self-assess and be like, I'm happy with what I brought? Cool. That is the only outcome that I care about. Realistic. Are we happy with how you show up? And then for show number two, are we happy with how you look here compared to how you looked at show number one? That's the other thing that matters. And are, are we improving or did we lose a step? You know, I want to see those show day photos from the first show, compare them to the show day photos from the second show. Um, does it show improvement? Did we put in our, did we put in the kind of work that we want? Yes. Okay, cool. Well, nothing else really matters because you just cannot control who else shows up. And I am thinking this right now as I think ahead to my show in November 
And I'm like, I want to get to, I want to wake up in Atlanta on the morning of November 13th and look in the mirror and say like, for right now, for where I'm at, at 44 years old, God, that hurts to say, um, this is as good as I got. And next time can be better, but this this is the best that I can do right now because for the past 16 weeks, I nailed it. I did everything I was supposed to do. This is where I'm at. Cool. And then maybe I go up and I just destroy everybody or maybe I get absolutely blown out of the water. Whatever happens, happens. And I'm not going to worry about it. And I'm going to be very transparent about that process <laughs> and how it feels because the other thing is, and keep in mind, I think this is a good perspective to, to get here. Um, I am not, by any stretch of the imagination, a competitive individual. I am just not. I, I actually, I kind of loathe competition in general, um, especially when it, when it comes to my passions, which is, you know, bodybuilding. Yeah, I mean, competitive bodybuilding, that, it's one of the words in, in the title of what we're doing here, right? Yeah, but for me, it's about me versus me. And if I take a look at where I'm at right now, before I even cut down versus where I was the last time I competed, I already won. And I'm, I'm 30 weeks out from my show. So, you know, um, <laughs> made some big change. Now, again, it's been nine years since the last time I competed. So there better be some big changes, right? But I don't, don't really look like the same person. And that's always kind of been the goal. So, um, a lot can change in nine years if you're consistent with it. So, um, and so I have to, I have some expectations going in. Yeah. But they're really expectations more about how I'm going to look and how I'm going to feel, um, and how I'm going to move up on stage rather than how I place. Um, and I know a lot of people don't really buy this when I say it, but I don't really care too much about how I place. Like I would like to get nationally qualified and I would like to go and do nationals because I like the idea of going through that process and uh, I haven't done a national level show before. So I think it'd be a good experience for me to do it. So having the opportunity to do that. Yeah. Now, if I go to nationals, do I have any illusions about, you know, winning my class there and turning pro? No, um, that's not going to happen. And I don't, and it's not the expectation going in, but I, I'd like to, to go through the process just to, uh, to experience it firsthand. So um, that, that's kind of my thoughts on it. Um, but you've got to go in with the right expectations. Like, you're not you're not going to win your first show, probably not going to win your second show, you know. And if you do, it it, it says a, one of a couple things: either man, you're really cut out for this, or the level of competition was kind of weak, or maybe some degree of both. You know, I've certainly had people where it's like, holy shit, they look amazing. I can't wait for show day to roll around. This is going to be so much fun, and they're the only person in their class, or there's one other person who looks like they prepped for five weeks, and they're just way too soft, carrying no size or whatever. I'm like, this isn't even a competition. It's like, eh, whatever. We got first, but woohoo, it doesn't really mean anything. You know, I would rather have somebody go in and get beat by somebody like somebody who, who shows up looking great and they get beat by somebody because it shows them like, Hey, there's competition out there, right? Like <laughs> that, That's good. That can be very humbling. And, um, some people will take that defeat as like, well, I guess this just isn't for me. And I would say, yeah, you're right. It's not. Um, if you're going to take a, a, a loss like that and, uh, not take the positives from it, no bodybuilding's not for you. No, you're, you're going to lose more than you win for sure. Um, and I've also worked with people where it's like, man, they, are, they look so freaking good right now. I can't wait for show day to roll around. And then they get their clock cleaned by somebody else who came in looking just way freakier 
still. So you're like, oh, okay. So, you know, but in both cases, man, I was really happy with what we brought to show day. So for me, from where I sit, the result doesn't change anything because you have no control over who else shows up, you know, um, a healthy perspective there is always good. Always know that there's somebody better than you out there, whether they show up to your show or not, you know, that that's something you don't have any control over. There's always somebody better and you're always going to be better than somebody else. And how many of those people show up? You don't know. You just don't know. So take a healthy perspective in there, but come into it with the idea of competing with yourself, which means that, um, for your first show, what's the goal? The goal is to get up there and do it. That should really be your only goal the first time you compete. Get up there, do it, look like you belong in whatever classes you do. If you do you know, true novice, novice, open, masters, I want you to look like you're appropriately conditioned and have appropriate and comparable development to everybody else on stage. And maybe, okay, maybe there's a clear winner. Maybe it is or isn't you. Whatever. I want you to look the part up on stage. Um, and that's not just in terms of your conditioning, your overall development, and your symmetry, but also your comfort level up there. A lot of things um, that people don't understand is, and this is one of the reasons why you just don't know when on show day. Um, you know what it's like up on stage? It's hot. It is really hot. You have no idea how hot those stage lights are until you're standing under them for 10 seconds. That's one of those things that you just can't prepare for. I can tell you that. And then you're going to be like, oh, okay, cool. And then you go up on stage and you stand under them and you come off stage and you're like, man, you weren't kidding. I didn't know they'd be that hot. I'm like, I tried to tell you, but yeah, no, they're they're hot. They're hot. Okay. We've established that. So... (laughs) <laughs> um, so that, that's just one thing. Also just, you know, you never know, um, how, uh, how well you're going to be able to hear the judge. Um, there are certainly cases where, uh, you, you're, you're waiting for them to call out positions, but your hearing is attuned to something else. And the, you know, the way the speakers are positioned, the way the audio is set up coming from the microphone that the head judge has, you just might be attuned to a different frequency. You're listening to the audience instead and it's coming from somewhere else. So everybody's turning and you're not, and you look like the dumbass who can't follow directions because you kind of are, but it happens. It's honest mistake. Sometimes you practice, you're posing all day long and they go to call out the turns and you turn the wrong way. And suddenly you're facing the person that's next to you. And you're like, <laughs> that guy turned the wrong way. Oh shoot. It's me. Uh, you know, and you have those panic moments of, you know, Hey, guess what? Nobody's calling you out by name. They're calling you out by your badge number. Okay. And you're not ready for that. You're like, Oh shoot. I'm number 40. Okay. Right. Sorry. Sorry. So all those things. Um, if you have some kind of a performance background, it can help because at that point, you know what it's like to be kind of exposed in front of people, not maybe not, you know, almost naked, but having some kind of exposure where you're putting something out there for people, possibly under some lights with everybody staring at you. It can be kind of unnerving. Um, Bodybuilding is actually a little easier. I mean, yeah, you're wearing almost nothing, but first time you go up on stage, you're probably in a group. So there's that at least. But if you've done, you know, any kind of music performance, if you've done any kind of theater or anything like that, you got to leg up just because you know what it's like to put yourself out there and be up under the lights with everybody watching. It, it's very unnerving and it can make, it can really change the way that you move. And suddenly all of your movements, no matter how much you've practiced them, just become way smaller, uh, a lot more reserved, a lot more controlled. You're really underselling everything at that point. So those are things that you learn by doing a show, having somebody in the audience recording video, um, taking pictures, looking at them, studying them, figuring out what you did right, what you did wrong, and then 
remembering that. And so the problem is like the journey to show number one can feel like such a long road. You're like, I don't know how I can do that. But I tell you what, there are plenty of people out there that have done 10, 20, 30 shows or more. Um, it's a lot of time in prep, but if you want to do this, you know, that, that can be what it takes to really get to where you want to go. So, you know, it's, it's not, not something that you can half ass. You got to throw everything into it. So, um, Anyway, little comment on that as far as expectations on what can happen coming into a first show. So, and where to set your expectations. R- really, and I truly mean this, your your expectations for the first show should be on showing up, making it to show day, not dying and being competitive. And if you can do that, anything beyond that is gravy. If you win your first show, man, that is awesome. That is great. That is not the expectation. I almost prefer it when somebody doesn't win their first show because they they need to have a taste of what it's like to not win, I think, because then you appreciate it that much more as well. That being said, I'm always going to try and have a client come in as sharp as possible. I'm not going to be like, oh, man, they're they're coming in looking a little too good. Here, let's tank their diet for a few weeks going into the show to make sure they come in like third. I mean, give me a break. No, but um, I think losses, if we want to call them that, non-first place finishes, <laughs> some kind of a mouthful, um, you learn way more from those. And I'm all about people learning and growing along the way. Collecting hardware, if you want a trophy, just go to a trophy shop and have them print one up for you because you know they aren't very expensive. Um, it's, it's the process of going through it, the memories that you make on show day, where if you do come up with some hardware, you look at it and you're like, that was a good day. And that trophy says third, but that was a good day. So um, food for thought. Anyway, I'm going to check out there. I hope everybody has gotten something useful out of this. Um, of course, if you got questions for me, you know how to find me. The website's always the best place, fivestarphysique.com. You can click on contact to get to me directly. Um, check out coaching, check out workout plans up there. A quick note on coaching as well. I am working from a wait list currently. That wait list is about four weeks long. So if you're thinking about an end of the year show or something like that around November, now's a good time to talk to me. Um, get your name on that list. So before your prep is ready to start, um, we'll be there and we'll be ready to go. So that's it. Um, I hope everybody has a good time. Like I said, I got an interview on recording on Thursday. That episode should be up on Friday. If you have ideas on who should be on this podcast, let me know. Uh, send them over my way. And uh, like I said earlier, if you can make an introduction, if it's somebody that you know, that'll go a lot further still because otherwise I'll be reaching out to these people cold and I don't have high hopes for getting responses from a lot of people. But you never know. You put out enough feelers, uh, you're going to get surprised more than once. So hope everybody has a great week and uh, stay safe.